Thank you, Patrick. That was a good, good children's sermon. We just do the benediction, go home now. Glad you didn't amen. Okay, uh, let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we're continuing our sermon series called Anxious. As I was praying about sermon series for the new year and thinking about where we are as a church, I think over the last two years, not only our church, but our entire community and our entire nation, I mean, you could say perhaps even the entire world has been anxious about something. And so this morning we're going to continue that sermon series looking particularly and specifically at Luke chapter 10 verses 38 through 42. And so if you do have a Bible, you can turn there. If you have a Bible on your phone, you can turn there. I trust you're not playing a video game or playing Pac-Man or something. I'll think the best of you. But if you do not have a Bible and you'd like to take a look at a physical Bible, there should be a pew Bible in front of you. You can per- turn, turn to page 869, 869, and you'll see the passage of Scripture there. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Hear God's word this morning. Talking about Jesus and his disciples. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the truth is that many of us come here to this sanctuary probably very distracted this morning. We come distracted about things that have happened the past week. We might be distracted about things that we are facing or facing uh, this week. Some of us might even be distracted by something that happened or was said by a, a friend or a family member or a church member this morning. So what I pray, Father, is that your Holy Spirit would come today and work supernaturally in this service and in this sermon. That you would speak to us through your word, by the power of your spirit. And I pray that we leave here loving Jesus and listening to Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How to Waste Your Time. These words come from Dr. Charles Swindoll. Here's how you can waste your time. Worry a lot. Start worrying early in the morning and intensify your anxiety as the day passes. Those simple but sarcastic words come from Dr. Charles Swindoll about how you can waste your time. I don't know about for you, but for me, I waste a lot of my time. I waste a lot of my time worrying, 
about things that have happened or things that could happen or what if this happened or what if that doesn't happen. And I can worry about things that I'm facing that day or in the week. I feel like I could give Dr. Charles Swindoll himself a little seminar and clinic on how to waste your time. I share that quote with you because we're in the middle of this sermon series called Anxious. And the reality is that there are a lot of things in our lives that call us, uh, cause us anxiety or stress. And they're not always necessarily bad things. A lot of times the things that stress us out, the things that cause us anxiety are actually good things. They're things that are dear to us. They're things that are near to us. They are things that we care about deeply. For example, uh, USA Today, a number of years ago, did an article called The Mess of Stress. And it identifies several things that cause us stress and cause us worry. And as I look at this list, these aren't necessarily bad things. They're good things. Listen to them. Work. Work isn't necessarily a bad thing. You may love your work like, like, like I do. Uh, it's a privilege to be able to be your pastor and get into God's Word and serve you and, and serve with you and serve alongside you to pray with you. So work, does it cause stress at times? Of course, yeah. But, but I love it. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Money. Well, money isn't necessarily a bad thing. The Bible says that the, the love of money is the root of all evil, but money's a necessary tool in this day in the society. So money in and of itself is not a bad thing, but when it becomes everything, it becomes a source of stress. Children. Children are a source of stress. If you don't believe that, look around, right? For children a bad thing? No, children are a good thing. And let us remember that as we approach the sanctity of human life Sunday. That human life is to be treasured and precious. Health causes stress. Good health is a good thing, right? Bad health is a bad thing. And there's no doubt that health concerns have caused a lot of us anxiety and stress, particularly over the past two years. Marriage causes stress. Is marriage a good thing or a bad thing? Be careful how you answer, guys and gals. Marriage is a good thing. God meant marriage for our good. The first time in Scripture where it says that something is not good is when God looks at Adam and says, it's not good for man to be alone. And so God makes Eve for Adam. But marriage can cause stress, can it? Parents can cause stress. Are parents a good thing or a bad thing? Parents are a good thing. And we may feel like at times while we're growing up that parents are a bad thing. But there comes a point in our life we realize that our parents were right about a lot of things. And we, we cherish their wisdom, their insight, as particularly as we get older. Why do I share all these things with you? I share all these things with you to help you remind us that there are a lot of things that cause stress in our lives that aren't necessarily bad things. They're good things. And the same is true when it comes to our time. Do you know what the greatest enemy of the best use of your time is? Do you know what the greatest enemy of the best use of your time is? It is something that is a good use of your time. How many of you get more junk mail at home than you care to deal with by a show of hands? Is that everybody? If you think it's bad at your house, you ought to come to the church one day. You think you get a lot of junk mail at your house? Come to the church. We get we get quadruple the amount of junk mail at the church 
then you get at your house. And you know what? A lot of the things that come across my desk, a lot of things that arrive at the church mailbox aren't bad things. You know what they are? A lot of them are good things. But like you, I'm limited in my time. So the greatest enemy of the best use of my time is something that is a good use of my time. You feel the, feel the pressure? Feel the burden that I feel? Well, that's what Martha and Mary felt in this passage. They felt the conflict regarding the use of their time. And they were both faced with a choice about what they were going to do with the time they had having Jesus in their presence. And Martha and Mary made two different choices. I sympathize with Martha. In fact, I came to this passage on Monday, and I come to this passage still today, a lot on Martha's side. Because I would have been busy trying to serve. I would have been busy trying to work. And yet we see in this passage, Jesus' call to all of us to prioritize our time with him. What's the best use of your time? The best use of your time is spending time with Jesus. Well, you could say, well, pastor, I knew that before we ever came here. So, okay, let's pray. Let's go home. But as we stroll through this passage this morning, I want us to take a look at what I, what I believe are two surprises as we seek to prioritize our time with Jesus. I want to take a look at two surprises I believe we find in this passage that We encounter as we seek to prioritize our time with Jesus. The first surprise we come across is this. Number one, for those of you that are note takers, identify your self-imposed distractions. The first surprise we encounter in this passage is that Martha is overwhelmed by her self-imposed distractions. As we take a look here, scrolling verses 38 through 40, it says that when Jesus and his disciples went on their way, they came to a village. And Luke's gospel here doesn't name the village, but we know from John chapter 11, verse 1, that the village where Martha and Mary and then their brother Lazarus resided was the the village of Bethany. And so we learned that that, that that situation, that town, was about two miles east of Jerusalem. And so Jesus is coming here to take a little bit of a rest before he makes his way down to Jerusalem. In fact, we're going to hear in another sermon how around this time in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus begins to set his eyes towards Jerusalem. Jesus begins to set his eyes towards the cross and the suffering that he will face. But it says here in verse 38 that Jesus and the disciples, they just roll on up into Martha and Mary's house. And we see here that Martha welcomes him welcomes Jesus into her her house. She shows Jesus hospitality. So far, so so good. But then we see this contrast happen in verse 39 through 40. By the way, just I wonder, we'll find out when we get to heaven. 
But the same verb that's used here in verse 38 about Martha welcoming Jesus into her house is the same verb that's used of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 when it says that he joyfully welcomed Jesus into his house. I don't know for certain, but I definitely look forward to talking to the Lord and, and seeing as the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of Luke's gospel. Is there this subtle contrast being painted in Luke's gospel between Martha and Zacchaeus, that Martha welcomes Jesus and shows him on the surface hospitality, but deep down in her heart she knows it's a burden. You ever feel like that in your relationship with Jesus? You know it's the right thing to do, to love Jesus. You know it's the right thing to serve Jesus. But it's a burden. It says here, Notice the contrast between Martha and Mary, verses 39 through 40. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, a commentator by the name of Norman Geldenhus, who is a, a solid Reformed commentator, says that Martha probably was the eldest sister. And so it probably was... Uh, her responsibility to be in charge of the hospitality that would be displayed and shown to Jesus and his disciples. But the problem is that she's distracted. How many of you have ever had a gnat buzz by your ear? That's a little booger, isn't it? But it can sound like it's a, a Boeing 747 flying past your ear. That's exactly what's happening in this passage. There are some nagging gnats of distraction that are buzzing by Martha's ears. All the context would let it lead us to believe that Martha had the desire to listen to Jesus. We know that Martha and Mary were both followers of Jesus Christ. We're going to see later on in, in Luke's gospel, we see particularly in John's gospel, how Martha has this deep faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In John's gospel, when, when Martha is the one that goes out to greet Jesus after she... Dis- after uh, Jesus comes and Lazarus has died, Martha has full confidence that if Jesus had been there, that Lazarus wouldn't have died. She also has full confidence in Jesus. He could resurrect Jesus back. Uh, she could re- Jesus could resurrect Lazarus back from the dead. Martha has full confidence that Jesus is the Christ. But in this moment, she's distracted, and it prevents her from prioritizing her time with Jesus because she's distracted by many things. Can't you sympathize with her? I do. Commentator William Hendrickson sympathizes with her and says, We sympathize with Martha. Her mind is pulled in different directions, but what Martha fails to realize is this. She didn't have to put on the hog for Jesus and the disciples. Soup and sandwich would have sufficed. And we're going to see that later on in Jesus' interaction with Martha in verse 42. So what's the point? If we're going to seek to prioritize our time with Jesus, there's one surprise we need to recognize. That part of the reason why we struggle to prioritize our time with Jesus is because we have distracted ourselves many times within self-imposed distractions. 
Martha gets angry at her sister Mary as she's sitting listening to Jesus. Because her own mind, Martha's own mind is distracted by all the things surrounding the hospitality. You get distracted. What distracts you? Read a story this week about a restaurant, true story, called the Church of God Grill. Anybody ever heard of the Church of God Grill? True story. A gentleman was making his, his way, he was a Christian businessman, he was making his way through a town and he was looking for, he stopped off at a, at a motel and he was looking through the yellow pages for a restaurant that might be open and he found, found this one restaurant named the Church of God Grill. And so he was just taken back by the name, he was all curious about it being a Christian, so he called uh, the restaurant, learned about their menu, the fact that they, he could do a takeout order, and he... he he spoke with the person on the, on the phone who happened to be the manager of the Church of God Grill. He said, I'm a Christian. He said, I'm just kind of curious how you got that name, Church of God Grill. And the manager of, of, of the grill is also the, the owner of, of the, the grill said, well, it's, it's plain and easy. He said, you see, this, this restaurant started after church one Sunday. Our church, we had a little small church, and we were struggling to, to, to keep the lights on, to pay the bills. And so... The deacons and the elders one day had an idea that we were going to serve fried chicken to the community after church one Sunday. And it was such a good fundraiser that we decided we would keep on doing it. But after a while, people got tired of the fried chicken, so we added on some soup and sandwiches. We added on some other things. And said, eventually, it became such of a burden that we realized that we needed to cut back the worship service so everybody in the church could get to the fellowship hall in time so they, all the food would be prepared for other people that would come to church and eat with us after church. And eventually, our church began to decline, decline, decline in membership. So eventually, we decided just to shut down the church, but we kept the name Church of God Grill. That seems ridiculous, right? But it happened. And it still happens in the church today. There are a lot of good things that churches do. But the greatest enemy of the best use of our time is a good use of our time. And I want you to notice in this passage how this passage highlights what we've seen throughout Luke's gospel, which is this. We are to serve Jesus in word and deed. But with that being said, Jesus always places his highest priority on the word ministry of the church. Every church at some point in time will get distracted. Just like every Christian at some point in time will get distracted. What distracts you, church? I want the elders and deacons to listen up because tomorrow night's our first joint meeting. We'll meet here at 6.30. Elders and deacons, I love you and I'm grateful for the privilege to serve alongside you. And because I love you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you. Satan is the master of distractions. And Satan is going to try this year to get us off task and get off focus in our work here as a church. Our work is to make disciples. 
the vision statement of this church is that we are to fill the whole earth with the praise of Jesus Christ. Our mission statement is that we are to make disciples who worship, evangelize, and serve through Christ-centered and biblically ordered ministries. So the temptation this year is going to be to just make people happy. Our goal has to be to prioritize our time with Jesus. Now let me speak to the spouses of the elders and deacons. Ladies, if you ever sense that your husband's service for Christ and his church is causing him to neglect you or your children or your home, I want you to come to me. I'm not going to browbeat them, but we want to know. Because the reality is, as men of God, Christ should not trust us with the responsibility of caring for his bride unless we are first caring for our own bride. And so if we as pastors or elders and deacons get out of whack in our priorities, ladies, I want you to come to me and share with me. And we're going to seek to repent of our own faults and failures and put Jesus in the first place, put you and your family in the next place, and then put our service to the church behind that. Amen? That's the first surprise we encounter in this passage as we seek to prioritize our time with Jesus, that we need to identify our own self-imposed distractions. And the second surprise we encounter is this. Enjoy your God-given opportunity. Enjoy your God-given opportunity. I love this passage of Scripture because it's so real. It's so real to life. It's how things happen in the course of a family. And I love this passage of Scripture because it assures me of my confidence in the Word of God that it's true, that it's accurate, that it's historical, because it's hysterical what happens. Because it's hysterical because Martha gets hysterical. I mean, picture the scene. You've got Martha welcoming Jesus into her house, showering him with all this hospitality. And while she's busy putting on the hog, well, maybe she wasn't putting on the hog because that wouldn't be kosher, would it? But you get the, you get the drift. She, she's putting on this, this great grand course meal for Jesus and his disciples. Meanwhile, you just have Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, just soaking up every word he has to say. And the more and more that that Martha's mixing the potato salad, the more and more Martha's is setting the table, she, her eyes can't help but catch Mary just sitting there listening to Jesus. And so what happens is that Martha gets overtaken by some serious anger. And she comes to Jesus in verse 40, don't miss it. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And the way that the question is asked in the Greek language is that she is assuming Jesus will say, You're right, Martha. I can't believe she's being so lazy. Martha is fully expecting Jesus to agree with her. In fact, we see it in the translation because then she goes ahead and says, Tell her then to help me. 
In other words, she's rattle-tattling on, on Mary as if Jesus is unaware of Mary sitting there listening to every word he has to say. In fact, in the original, she's commanding Jesus to instruct her, to help her. But what was Mary doing? Enjoying her God-given opportunity. Mary didn't know if Jesus would ever be in their house again. And so her posture of sitting at Jesus' feet is a posture of someone who is intent to learn, eager to hear. She's like a sponge just soaking up every word Jesus has to say. Everything else in the room is blocked off from Mary's attention. She's focused on Jesus. But meanwhile, back in the kitchen, Martha's got those nagging gnats buzzing around her head. But what's so surprising to me is how Jesus responds. Because what I expect to hear from Jesus, I don't know about you, but for me, what I expect to hear from Jesus is what Martha probably expected to hear from Jesus as well, which is, you know what, you're right, Martha. You know, I'm getting ready to to send you all out on the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Y'all need to be out there busy saving souls. Get up, Mary. Get to work. But how does Jesus respond in verse 41? But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Two times he says her name. He's serious, but he's sympathetic. Notice this. He's sympathetic to her struggle. He says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. He sees it. Friends, Jesus sees The fact that you're troubled about many things this morning. And he comes to you this morning and says your name, Tanner, Tanner. I know you're troubled about many things. But only one thing is necessary. It says in verse 42, Mary has chosen the good portion which which will not be taken away from her. When Jesus says that word good portion, he's quoting Psalm 16, verse 5, which reads, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. The reason I say this is a surprise is that I expect Jesus to be this taskmaster that cracks the whip and tells us to get to work. And He's not calling us to be lazy. He's not calling us to avoid our God-given vocations or our God-given responsibility to, to make disciples and to spread the gospel. Don't hear that at all. But notice that Jesus wants you to enjoy your time with him. One of the things that we need, we need to wrestle with in a good way as Presbyterians is this. We can come into this sanctuary reverently with God, but that doesn't mean you have to dread it. (laughs) We can come in here reverent knowing that we're encountering a holy God, but we need to be excited about the fact that we get to be in his presence. 
and the posture and the attitude of our heart. It needs to be like Mary's, that we're eager to learn. We're sponges ready to soak in and hear about who Jesus is. And what's shocking to me is that Jesus wants to spend time with us. Everyone in this room has heard of Billy Graham, one of the most famous evangelists in, in the history of the world. His, his, Billy Graham's father-in-law was named Dr. Nelson Bell. Now, Dr. Nelson Bell was a, a medical missionary of sorts. He served in China. He was head over a hospital in China. Dr. Bell was um, over a hospital. I believe it was about 400 hospital beds that he oversaw. And Billy Graham highlighted the, the, the practice of his father-in-law. I'm sure uh, Billy Graham was uh, challenged by it many times. But Billy Graham said that his, his father-in-law would get up at 4.30 a.m. every single morning just so he could spend two to three hours in the Bible prior to going to work. So somewhere between 4.30 and 6.30 a.m. or 4.30 to 7.30 a.m. every single day, Dr. Dr. Bell was in the Word of God. Why? Because he knew the good portion. He knew that at the end of the day, there was only one thing that was necessary, and that was spending time with Jesus. Now, why do I share that story with you? I share that with you not to browbeat you about the fact that you and I don't spend two to three hours in Bible reading every morning. But what I want you to be challenged by this morning is the priority of the time, not the enormity of the time, but the priority of the time. Do you enjoy your time with Jesus? He wants you to. And every time you come to his book, whether it's at home or in Sunday school or in this worship service, he wants you to enjoy the opportunity. Because the lesson that we hear Jesus tell us in this passage is this. Your life will not get all s- sorted out in terms of your priorities on its own. But we got to be diligent to make our soul business the first business of our lives. Let's pray. I want us to use the prayer that's actually printed in your bulletin this morning. It's a corporate prayer of response that was written by a father of the church, John of the Cross. So let's respond with the corporate prayer of response printed in your bulletins. Let us pray. O blessed Jesus, give me stillness of soul in you. Let your mighty calmness reign in me. Rule me, O King of gentleness, King of peace. Amen.